Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 to 7. And the theme for this morning's message, the good, the good fruit of faith. The good fruit of faith. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, this morning we come acknowledging our need of you, acknowledging what the Bible teaches us in him we live and move and have our being, acknowledging what scripture teaches, without you we can do nothing, acknowledging the verse that says, you give to all mankind life and breath and everything. We pray, Lord, as dependent creatures, that you would also help us spiritually, that you would help our faith to be fixed on Jesus Christ, the object of our faith. And that we would walk by faith as the Bible teaches, and that you would give us your strength and grace and wisdom and life and help us to endure to the end. Amen. Let's say that you, or let's say your neighbor has a very fruitful apple tree. Beautiful red apples, shiny, crisp, sweet. And you decide, I'm going to get myself some of that fruit. I want fruit like that. So you go to Woolworths. You buy a, a few bags of apples and you come and glue them to a tree standing in your yard. And that's a, an illustration I've adapted from Paul, Tripp, Paul Tripp's teaching. Now, obviously, it's, it's stupid. It won't work. If you want that kind of fruit, the kind of fruit that your neighbor's tree has, you would need a good tree to produce the good fruit. And that is exactly the same when it comes to spiritual matters. If we want the fruit that Christians should have and produce that fruit, we need, we need the root. We need the good tree. And that is, according to Hebrews 11, faith. And that is what these heroes of the faith did in Hebrews 11, verse 4 to 7. So what was the good fruit that flowed and came from their faith? First one is acceptable sacrifice, or acceptable sacrifices, and that's in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which... He was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Let me use another illustration to introduce this point. Let's say you want to buy a gift for my wife's birthday. And you ask me, what would your, your wife like for her birthday? And I give you a couple of ideas, but then I tell you, my wife does not like surprises. And my wife does not like theological books, heavy theological works or technical theological works. And my wife, well, she, she 
would rather not have you call her at 7 o'clock in the morning on her birthday or at 6.30 or something of the kind. But you don't believe what I tell you, and so you think you're really going to make my wife's day, and you organize this surprise breakfast for her birthday that um, you want to take her out and pick her up at 7 o'clock and be at the place at 7.15, and you get her the complete works of John Owen, theological works, and, uh, well, what a surprise you're going to get when my wife is not at all impressed with the gift you gave her and not at all impressed uh, that you surprised her and that you took her out for breakfast very early in the morning. And in the same way, your best sacrifices you can bring to God will not be acceptable if you do the things that really please you and don't please God. The same as the illustration with my wife's birthday. You're really pleasing yourself and not trying to please her. So God is, God is not impressed when you bring sacrifices that make you feel good instead of sacrifices and worship that honors God and is in line with God's word, the things he says that he wants you to do. And that was the difference between Cain and Abel. Abel believed God. Cain did not believe God. He did not believe what God said. And that we see in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Now let me, let me elaborate on that. Uh, Abel was a prophet. According to Luke chapter 11, verse 50 and 51, Jesus calls Abel a prophet. So in other words, Abel received direct revelation from God. God spoke to him. God said, this is what I want you to do. And he believed what God had told him. He believed God's word. And so he brought a blood sacrifice. And he gave his best. And he did it with the right attitude, with the right heart, according to Genesis chapter 4. And according to our verse where it says he was commended by God. Where, on the other hand, you look, at, you look at Cain's sacrifice in the book of Genesis. Well, he brought it with an evil heart. His heart was not right before God because God tells him, Genesis 4 verse 7, that your heart is not right. And, well, he did bring a sacrifice, but he did not believe what God had done. In Genesis chapter 3, where God brought sacrifices in order to cover Adam and Eve's sin, where God clothed them with the skins of animals, so God killed animals. Um, Cain was of the evil one. He was of the devil. According to 1 John 3 verse 12, he obeyed Satan. And this is why God accepted Abel's sacrifice in verse 4, and God commended him. God commended him as righteous, just like he did with Abraham. By faith, Abraham was declared righteous or justified. And when this happened, Cain was jealous. And Cain hated his brother. And Cain murdered his brother. He murdered Abel, according to Genesis 4. But he could not kill the testimony of Abel's life. End of verse 4. Though through his faith, though he died, that is able, he still speaks. Chapter 12, verse 24, speaks of the blood of Abel that speaks. 
And here we find the same thing. So he could not kill the testimony of Abel. Abel still speaks through the record of Scripture, through Genesis 4, through Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, Hebrews 12, 24, Matthew 23, verse 35. Several verses in Scripture speaks of Abel. So he still speaks that he was faithful to God. How will, how will people remember you and I? How will they remember you when you are gone? Will you be like Abel? You still speak. What about the fruit of your life? Does the fruit of your life show you, your life was a good tree filled with faith? The roots of faith and the fruit of obedience, the fruit of sacrifice, of acceptable sacrifice, of God-pleasing worship. Will people have good things to say about you at your funeral? Or should we say they'd have to lie if they say good things about you? And then even if they do say good things about you, well, the opinion doesn't matter much. The question we want to know, the answer we want to know to this question is, what does God say? What does God say about your life? Does God commend you as righteous? Verse 4. Like he did with the heroes of the faith in verse 2 also. For by it, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Does God say, and will God say of you, your love wasn't perfect, but it was real, it was true? Or will God say, you loved your own life above anything and everything? Will God say, you obeyed me? Or will God say, you did what you wanted? You did what the group wanted? Will God say, worship was a priority in your life? Or will God say, well... To worship me wasn't a top priority. And to worship me, didn't, in fact, didn't even make the top five in your life. Will God say you gave your best to me and for me? Or will God say you gave me the scraps of your time and your money and your worship and your marriage and your parenting and your life? Will God say you loved my word? You wanted to understand my word. You desired to understand and grow. You lived according to my word. You worshipped me according to my word. Or will God say, you did not love my word, as the psalmist, as the author of Psalm 119. You followed your own heart. Uh, really being disobedient to Jeremiah that says the heart's deceitful above all things. You went with what the world says. Just follow your heart. You followed your heart. You did what feels good. And then very often you even said, I just had this feeling it was right. I followed my heart. I know it's God that told me to do that. And you even blamed it on God. Well, according to verse 4, what you do and who you are can only be acceptable to God through faith. Why? Because God is pleased with His own Son, Jesus Christ. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And God is only pleased with His Son. And Jesus brought the acceptable sacrifice because He is acceptable to His Father. And therefore, only by faith in Christ can we be acceptable to God. And so no amount of church going or tithing or prayers or preaching or listening to preaching or good works or any other spiritual activity can please God. 
You can only please God by faith in his perfect son. All right, so that is the first fruit of faith. Second fruit of faith is God-pleasing devotion. God-pleasing devotion. That is in verse 5 and 6. Here's a quote from Stuart Olliot um, summarizing Enoch's life in verse 5. He says, Enoch walked and talked with God and one day walked with him to his house without ever coming back. He arrived there without dying and did not leave his body behind. I think that's a very good summary. Now please note, God took Enoch, it says in verse 5, he was taken up. How was he taken up? Verse 5 tells you at least why. It says, by faith Enoch was taken up, so that he should not see death. By faith he was taken up. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean, oh, Enoch believed, you just have to believe hard enough, and then you also not die like Enoch. You just need to believe, I won't die, I won't die, I won't die, and then you'll make it and go to heaven without dying. That's not what it means. What it means is, God told Enoch, I am going to take you away from this world and you will not die. And Enoch believed God and God took him. It's like, like Elijah in 2 Kings 2, where Elijah knew he was not going to die. Because the other prophets even told Elisha as he was following Elijah, did you know God is going to take your master from you today? And then Elisha asked him, Elijah, please can I have a double portion of your spirit and your strength and the power God has given to you? And Elijah said, only if you see me as I am taken away will this happen. So Elijah knew he will not die. And the same with Enoch. By faith, meaning he believed what God had told him, you will not die. Uh, Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing. And what we hear is the word of God. So he had heard God speaking to him. Whether it's in a dream or a vision or whatever. And then no one found him. It says in verse 5, he was not found. The same with Elijah. They tried to find him after he was taken up. And Elisha says, you cannot go. He's not there. And they said, please, please. And eventually they sought him for three days and they could not find him. And so the same in Enoch's day. People tried, they, they were looking everywhere for, for him and they could not find him. Why not? Because, verse 5 in the middle, God had taken him. God had taken him. And why did God take him? Well, it says... In verse 5 again, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. God decided to do that because he said, Enoch pleases me. Do you want to please God as Enoch did? Well, maybe you, you answer and you say, you know, I know the correct answer is yes, but if I'm really honest, I don't have, deep down, I don't have a desire to please God. It's not there. I know I should have that desire, but I don't. Who do you want to please then? You want to please yourself? You want to please other people? So in other words, you want to receive praise instead of giving praise. Well, according to Jesus, you cannot be saved as long as that is the case. John 5 verse 44, Jesus says, as long as you seek the glory of other people, you want people to praise you, well, you'll never receive the commendation of God and obviously you'll never worship God because you want everyone to Please you and like you. 
Perhaps you answer, if I ask, do you want to honor God and please God as Enoch did? Perhaps you say, yes, I do want to, but it's too hard. It's too difficult. We we live in in this era where we have to walk by faith. Enoch walked with God. He saw God. He, He heard God's voice. And let me answer you by saying, you're wrong. You're wrong. Enoch did not see God. Verse 5 says, by faith. By faith. So Enoch walked by faith like you and I have to do. He did not hear voices in the night. Uh, He didn't have a complete Bible, but God probably spoke to him in dreams and visions sometimes. And he spent time in prayer. Or perhaps he heard the word by word of mouth. His parents taught him that and his grandparents taught him that. But he walked by faith. He walked by prayer. Perhaps you say, yes, I do want to please God as Enoch did, but the times we live in, it's such a godless society. It was much easier for Enoch in his time. Again, you're wrong. Enoch was the seventh from Adam. If you read Genesis 5 and Jude 14 and 15 tells us the same. So he was the seventh from Adam and the seventh from Adam through Seth, Adam's son Seth. Then if you go through Cain's line, Adam's son Cain, and you take the seventh from Adam in that line in Genesis 4, you come to Lamech. And Lamech was a polygamist. He took many wives. He took two wives. And Lamech was a murderer. And Lamech, the people in his area and in his time, they did not worship God. Most people in Enoch's time did not worship God. And that we learn from the end of Genesis 4 where it says only in the time of Seth's son, Enosh, not Enoch, Enosh, did people start calling on the name of the Lord. And then it got worse. It got worse in the days of Noah. It says, and that is his great-grandson or grandson or great-grandson, and it says that the world was so evil and so wicked, people continually had wicked and evil intentions, godless. So those are the times that Enoch lived in, and yet he walked with God. So we cannot say, oh, it was easy for him, it's harder for us. And even if the world is bad, let's say say it was worse in our time, and the world is worse today than it was in Enoch's time. That does not matter, because God does not change, His Word does not change, His power does not change. So in any era, we can walk with God, as Enoch did. And to tell you the truth, we probably have a better chance than Enoch of walking close to God because Enoch lived before the cross, before the resurrection, before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, before there was a complete Bible. He didn't have any book of the Bible. And we have all of those privileges. And so we can walk with God as Enoch did. We can walk humbly with our God. We can walk by faith. We can walk in the Spirit and live by the Spirit. Someone might say, yes, I want to walk with God as Enoch did. I want to please Him, but I've already messed up my life. Enoch only started walking with God when he was 65. Let me read it to you. In Genesis chapter 5, we read, When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah. 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters, and so on. So it seems something happened with the birth of his son. 
And then Enoch walked with God only after the age of 65. And so what about your life? What about you've really messed up and your life is really sinful? Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God can wipe out your sinful past and help you to walk with him. Perhaps you say, yes, yes, I do want to walk with God as Enoch did. I do want to please God. And I'm really trying my best to do that. Let me ask you, how are you trying to do that? I'll give you an illustration, and, and chances are it might well be you're trying to please God in this way. So we're standing at the Victoria Falls next to the Zambezi River, the border of Zimbabwe and Zambia, and you see this waterfall crashing over the edge, massive waterfall, millions and millions and millions of liters of water every hour, and it's amazing. And then you take out a hose pipe and you connect it to a tap standing at the river's edge and you spray water trying to compete, trying to draw everyone's attention to the hose pipe. Stop looking at the waterfall. Look at this hose pipe. Look at the water I'm spraying. Not realizing that even the water you're spraying at sources the Zambezi River. It's almost like Mary and Martha, where Mary sat at Jesus' feet, just being in awe, just in amazement at Jesus and his teaching and his word and his person. And Martha serving Jesus. I'm going to do stuff for Jesus. I'm going to impress Jesus. I'm going to really please Jesus today. And we really should remember God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to everyone life and breath and everything. So God is not pleased if we serve him in that way. God is not pleased if you say, look at the hose pipe, look at the water I'm spraying. God is pleased <coughs> when you look at the waterfall and you're in awe of his power and his strength. And you draw from his strength. You draw from that source. That is what pleases God. So God wants us, by faith, to trust in his power. Not to spray water and say, look at the hose pipe. But to draw from the source of his power. To stand in amazement of God. Of all he is for us in Christ. Verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus with Mary and draw from his strength. And not with Martha and in our own strength try to do things for Jesus. And now we're going to please him. So it honors God if you draw from his strength. Draw on his strength. And not on your own. Some trust in chariots and others in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Psalm 20 verse 7. In Psalm 33 we read in verse 16 to 18. 
The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. By its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Psalm 147, verse 10 and 11. God's delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of man. Oh, how strong your legs are, how fast you can run. No, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. That's just another way of saying Hebrews 11 verse 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Do not rely on your own strength. Because if you are strong and you do a great work for the Lord, everyone praises you. But if you are weak and God works mightily through you, everyone praises God. So do you see? Can you see? Without Him, you and I are nothing. Jesus said that. You are like Samson. You think you are strong in yourself. But you do not realize you are weak if God leaves you. We need the strength of God. That's why we need faith, verse 6, to trust in His strength. And when He shows His power through us, that pleases Him. Not when we try to do things for Him. And that is a mark of all the heroes of faith. They acknowledge their own weakness. They confess their own weakness. And they trusted in God for his life and wisdom and power through them. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, the strong man in his strength, the rich man in his riches. But let him that will boast, boast in this, that he knows me. That he understands. That is what Jeremiah teaches us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul says in verse 9 and 10, But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Another mark of these heroes of the faith All of them, because they lived by faith, all of them lived by the word and prayer. That's where they drew their strength from. They called upon God in prayer. They trusted his promises. They trusted him to do what he had told, what he had promised in his word. And so they confessed again. I'm weak. I need God. And that is why they came to God Daily, they drew near, verse 6. Without faith it's impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God. They drew near to God. Chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near. This is what the heroes of the faith did. So they believed that God exists. He truly exists. Verse 6 in the middle. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And if someone does not believe that, then God gives them what they want. He shuts their eyes. And they will believe God does not exist. Because Luke, Jesus told us in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, God has hidden these things from the wise and understanding and has revealed it to little children. No one knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Son except the Father. 
Or let's say the other way around. And those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. If they will not see, if they will not believe, they will not come in faith and draw near in faith, then God will blind their eyes. God will just say, I give you over to your own blindness. And I will allow allow Satan to keep on blinding you. Like with the Jews. They studied the scriptures to try and find life, but they refused to accept Jesus. They will not see Christ in the scriptures. And therefore, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, the Jews read the Sabbath, or they read Moses' books every Sabbath, and they cannot see Christ in it. They are blind. There's a veil before their eyes. And it will not be removed unless God says. And so God really gives these kinds of people up. If they will not believe that God exists, without faith it's impossible to please Him. He who wants to draw near to God must believe that he exists. And if you won't, well, you're going to get the type of thing happen to you that we read of in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 11 and 12. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all, they all, that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. And those are the kinds of people God can even speak to them in an audible voice. They still will not believe. They'll say, oh no, that's thunder. John 12, verse 28 and 29. So you must believe. You are coming to the true God. You are coming to the living God. You must believe that when you listen to the preaching. You must believe that when you come in prayer. You must believe that when you fellowship with other believers. You must believe that when you come to the Lord's table. I believe that God is. God exists. And you must also believe, end of verse 6, God rewards those who seek Him. Now when it says you seek God, that implies it's not a two-minute thing. It's not a, oh, now and then when I feel like a thing. It is a daily thing. You seek God. You seek God with all your heart. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jeremiah 29.13. Deuteronomy 4 verse 29. You must be able to say as Jacob did, I will not let you go until you bless me. You must believe. End of verse 6. God rewards those who seek him. And the result will be, as verse 6 says at the end, you will be rewarded. What is the reward? I think it's more than one thing. At least, <coughs> at least it is answer to prayer. You must believe. When you seek God, God will answer you. He will answer your prayer. And sometimes God says, wait a little. Jesus told a parable to this effect that his disciples should always pray and not lose heart. So sometimes God wants you to persevere. Sometimes God says no for a good reason, like for instance sin. You, you cherishing sin, Psalm 66, 18, if I, if I cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have answered. Um, Isaiah 59, verse 2, and several other verses, it might be that you're bitter, you've got an unforgiving spirit, you're being harsh with your spouse, 1 Peter 3, verse 7, Matthew 6, 14 and 15. Perhaps you're praying with little faith, You're not believing God's promises. You doubt them. You doubt God's power and His wisdom. Uh, James 1 says, if you doubt, then you should not expect anything. Perhaps you're praying with selfish motives, and God won't answer that. James 4 verse 3, 
Perhaps you're shutting your ears to the cry of the poor, and then God will shut his ears to your cry. Proverbs 29.13. Okay, but those, those are the exceptions. The rule is normally God says yes. Ask and it will be given you, Jesus said. Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks to him it will be opened. Uh, you give good gifts to your children. If your children ask for bread, you give them bread. You don't give them a stone. And how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So to be rewarded, verse 6 at the end, you must believe God rewards those who seek him. To be rewarded with answers to prayer, that's normal. That's how it happens, usually. <coughs> and sometimes God even gives you more than you ask for. Like a friend of mine says, God doesn't only give you bread, he gives you honey. On the slice of bread, lots of honey. So because that's so, because that's true, I want to urge you, I want to encourage you, do not neglect prayer. Do not neglect prayer. Not private prayer, not corporate prayer. Many of our people aren't faithful in attending prayer meetings at all. You've never attended a prayer meeting. And you're not planning to either. And you're not planning to listen to this command and to this reward. God will reward you. And you're not seeing answers to prayer. We see many answers to prayer at our prayer meetings. And really it's to your detriment, you're shooting yourself in the foot if you will not pray with other believers. Or if you will not pray at all, personally, privately. You are missing reward. End of verse 6, God rewards those who seek Him. James tells us, says it this way, you do not have because you do not ask. Some of you, you are desperately seeking an answer to this trouble or this problem in your life, but you will not turn up at the prayer meetings. Or share with other believers. Please pray with me. Let us pray. I want to encourage you to come. <clears throat> but this reward is only if you come by faith. If you pray in faith. End of verse 6 again. You must believe God exists. And he rewards those who seek him. So it's by faith that these things happen. Now that is not the prosperity gospel kind of faith. The word of faith movement kind of faith. <coughs> where you just believe things hard enough. I'm going to have a BMW X6 um, M. So you believe you're going to have that. And I just speak life. And I need to speak it. I need to name it and claim it. That's not biblical faith at all. What this means when it says you must believe that God rewards those who seek Him, that means believing God's promises. You remind God of His promises. Isaiah 62, verse 6 and 7. We learn that from the prophet, where it says we should give God no rest. You who put the Lord in remembrance, do not rest and give Him no rest. Seek God. Remind Him of His promises. And then God will answer. God will do exceedingly above, far more abundantly than all that you can ask or think. God can do the impossible and will do the impossible in answer to prayer and in accordance with His Word and His promises to those who believe. You can move mountains. Now, this reward is not only answers to prayer. I also think those who seek God. I think the reward is also finding God. The reward is also a sense of the nearness of God, the closeness of God, fellowship with God, communion with God. 
Draw near to God and he will draw near to you, James tells us. And then also I think the reward is, eternal reward, the reward of God himself. Whom have I in heaven but you? And also there is nothing on earth I desire besides you. Paul ran the race and went for the upward call of this, this prize of God in Christ Jesus. This prize. He wanted Christ. Now if that does not draw you, if that does not excite you, it simply means you do not know enough about Jesus. That's why you're not excited to say, I want him as my reward. You're like a, a, peop, a person living on the street. Uh, you're like a tramp. And you, you'll choose drink and drugs and unemployment and loneliness and hunger and cold and poverty and the life on the street. You'll choose that above a happy family, a job, a salary, a house, a car and a normal life. Number three, third fruit of faith is reverent obedience. Reverent obedience, verse 7. So here's this father. His two sons are kicking a rugby ball in the backyard, but they're too close to the window. And the dad says, just move up a little because you're going to break this window. And if you break this window, I'm going to take your pocket money and you're going to replace this window. And so they don't believe their dad, they think we won't break the window and dad won't really take our pocket money even if we do break it. And so they kick the ball, they break the window and the dad keeps his word. He takes their pocket money and replaces the window. Now that's in a small way, that's a picture of Noah because God threatened and God said, I will send a flood, a worldwide flood because mankind is so corrupt, mankind is so wicked, mankind is so evil. And Noah, I want you to build an ark. And you, I'm going to spare you. I'm going to spare your life and your sons and their wives and your wife. And I'm going to spare many of the animals, two of each kind. I'm going to spare them. And Noah believed God. And he feared God and he built an ark. Even when the flood was decades away. He built that ark, verse 7, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. I can just see how people mocked him, how they scoffed at Noah. <laughs> Building a ship on dry ground? A worldwide flood? You are ridiculous, old man! Laughing at Noah. But Noah warned them. Noah warned them. Second Peter 2 verse 5. He was a preacher of righteousness. He spoke of the righteousness of God. He warned them of a coming flood. He built the ark. And by doing so he condemned the world. Middle of verse 7. By this he condemned the world. By believing God's word and obeying it and building that ark. But they did not listen. They just kept on, went on with their lives, as Jesus says in Matthew 24. But Noah believed God and he kept on working away, kept on building that ark. And so by that action, as I said, he condemned the wicked, he condemned the world, verse 7. And when the flood came, very suddenly and very unexpectedly, no one could say, I didn't know. 
They knew. Noah had warned them. God gave them 120 years respite. 120 years they had an opportunity to repent. Genesis 6 verse 3. And the same for us. Do you really believe in the second coming? Do you really believe there's a judgment day? Do you really believe in heaven? you really believe there's a place called hell? And some people will just be very honest and say, I don't believe in those things. Well, you've forgotten about the flood, haven't you? Now, I know what the response will be. Well, I don't believe there was a worldwide flood. Well, of course you don't believe there was a worldwide flood, because if you do believe that, you would have to accept that there's a God who judges sin, and that you will not accept. And that is why you also deny something like hell. You deny there's a place like hell, you deny there will be a judgment day, and the real reason for that is not because it's not true, but because you do not want to stop sleeping around. You do not want to stop getting drunk and gossiping and living the way you please. Someone who believes these things is wise. If you believe this, you are wise. You know the Bible is not merely a bunch of stories. You believe. You fear God. You obey God as Noah did. And like Noah, God declares you righteous. End of verse 7. Noah became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. Noah was a man of faith. Noah was a righteous man, Genesis 6 verse 9 also says. And so God then does the same for you and he gives you the righteousness of his son. Jesus has become for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification and redemption. We have received the righteousness of God through faith in his son Jesus, Philippians 3 verse 9. And so really what happens is God sees you through Jesus and, God, and you see God through Jesus. God sees you through Jesus, you see God through Jesus. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We are acceptable to God now through Christ. Is there anything in Jesus that the Father is not satisfied with? Well, if not, then, well, what more do you need? What more do you need then than Jesus? To be accepted by God. Nothing. So how do you receive Jesus? By faith. By faith. And so faith is sufficient. Faith is enough. Just like the roots, the healthy roots of a good tree are enough for that tree to take all the nutrients from the ground, all the water from the ground, everything it needs to push it up into the trunk of the tree, into the branches, and produce good fruit. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, so we pray then, not first and foremost for the good fruit to be produced in our lives, but first for that which produces the fruit, namely Christ himself through faith. Fill us with the Holy Spirit and with the fruit of the Spirit, that the Father may be glorified in us. Amen.